great Odin's raven. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. With, I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast, episode 33. My name is Adam. Today I'm joined, as always, by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. Doing well. This week we'll be reviewing Compliance, as well as Beyond Black Rainbow. Two feature reviews this week. Uh, we'll also be highlighting some Amazon Blu-ray deals, and I also have an audiobook recommendation. We'll be making our weekly movie predictions, and finally we'll be going over this week's DVD and Blu-ray releases. But first, let's talk about a little bit of what we've been watching. I'll get it started this week. First movie I saw, Wish You Were Here. This is a Australian film, uh, and I liked it. This is along the same lines as, uh, what was that other one? The Square mm-hmm. and Animal Kingdom. It's part of that Blue Tongue collective or whatever it is yeah i like and them yeah promising they are Make very good films. very promising i mean right now the independent film scene in australia is just exploding and this is the next one on the list this is directed by kieran darcy smith who is uh he's mainly an actor actually this is his first film that he directed uh, I think he was in he was in Animal Kingdom, right? Yeah, he was in the Square too. And he was in the Square, and he was in that horror movie, The Reef, I believe, which I haven't seen, but I do plan on seeing that. And this is this is kind of typical for that for this type of film, very similar to Animal Kingdom and the Square. I would say it's closer to the Square, but it's basically about these four friends that go to Cambodia. One of them goes missing, and kind of the fallout as a result. Hmm. Uh, it, stole, it stars Joel Edgerton, who I like a lot. I think he's a very promising actor. And I would recommend this one. Highly recommend it. It's not great. I didn't love it. It yeah. wasn't Animal Kingdom, but yeah. it, was, it was very good. But is it more, you would say it's more along the lines of like the square, where it's not... Right. really yes much to like really scream from the mountaintops about but yes it's it, just it's, a solid film yeah i mean i would put it right on the same level as the square same level there's uh the thing about a lot of these other ones like um snowtown and there there's just there's more suspense you know more tension there and there's not there is Certainly tension suspense in this movie, but just not on the same level mm-hmm. as like Animal Kingdom. But I do recommend it. It is, it is solid. Uh, one that I do not recommend is Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1. Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1. Now, I have a soft spot for these DC animated um, films that come out, and... The last one that I saw was Justice League Doom, which I loved. I thought it was fantastic. This one let me down in pretty much every aspect. First of all, big thing, big issue. Peter Weller was the voice of Batman, and he's RoboCop, for those of you that don't know him very well. Uh, He'll also be mentioned in our... Cronenberg roundtable that's coming up because he's the main character Naked Lunch. 
Mm. And he does a great job in Naked Lunch, and I love him in RoboCop, but the voice of Batman? Give me a break. Give me a break. <laughs> this is uh, based on the Frank Miller uh, series, and although I, I never read the Frank Miller series, so I don't know how close it sticks to this, that, that story, I'm told that it is pretty close, but I was not into it at all. I thought that the voice acting was pretty terrible. The animation was not great. They were definitely trying to go with the look of the Batman animated series, which I always like, but it just felt slightly off to me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like how the Joker looked. It, it just it wasn't very good. I do see that it's a 55-year-old Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's old. Like, this takes place uh, 10 years after he kind of hangs up the cowl. Uh, after Jason Todd dies, who was mm-hmm. Robin. I don't recommend it. I mean, I'll definitely be seeing part two just because they kind of leave it <laughs> hanging. <laughs> you're invested. Yeah, exactly. Don't you, don't you hate when that happens? Oh, even if you're not really into it, you're like, oh, I gotta find out how it ends. Just just wait. I'll, I'll be coming back to me being invested in just a few moments. That's how like every episode of Law and Order is for me. Like if it pops on the TV screen and I see like two to three minutes of it, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta. F- Oh, Sit yeah, the I mean, rest. I gotta know what happens. TV, TV is really bad at that. That's why I'm still watching Dexter, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I, then I saw Red Hook Summer, the latest Spike Lee film. And I really wanted to like this. I was on board for probably the first uh, 25 minutes to half an hour. It's a really strange movie because... Um, maybe 45 minutes in, and it doesn't adhere to any kind of uh, structuring. Like, you know, most films have like a three-act structure. Yeah. But this, there's no structure in it whatsoever. It is the most aimless, random film. And I was okay with it because I was was into the story. It's about this uh, kid who goes to... He's from Atlanta, and he goes to Brooklyn to spend the summer with his grandfather, who's a bishop. And I was, I was really into it. The, uh, you can tell the way that it's filmed. It kind of harkens back to earlier Spike Lee films. Looks great. I love the way how he uses these, you know, super saturated uh, camera shots and stuff. Uh, long dolly shots that are going down the streets of Brooklyn. It just looked great. And again, I have a soft spot for movies that take place in New York. And I was really into that. I'll be talking about that later. I was really into that. And at some point, maybe 45 minutes into the film, maybe it was a little earlier, this crazy twist happens. And I'm not going to say that I didn't like the twist because I understand what Spike Lee was trying to say with the twist, but it completely changed the dynamic of the film and turned it into something completely different. And in the end, it was just kind of hard to swallow considering I I just spent 45 minutes watching something that was, that had a completely different message. And 
it just took a complete 180. The acting was really shitty, too. I'm going to throw that out there. Now, uh, the guy that plays the grandfather, the bishop, I cannot remember his name right now, but he was in The Wire, and he's great. He's phenomenal. But the kids, not so good. And there are some interesting cameos. If you're a Spike Lee fan, I still recommend seeing it. Uh, Spike Lee himself has a cameo. The detective that's in, who was also in The Wire, who's um, in the 25th hour, the guy that goes, she, that guy, <laughs> he's in it. Um, so there, there, was, there were several things to like about this movie, but in the end, I kind of felt lukewarm over it just because of the aimlessness of it. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. But I was really hoping he was back. Well, it is, it is more of a return to form. And I do like the direction that he's going with this. I just feel like maybe he's been away from making this kind of movie for so long that it's going to take him a couple to get back into the swing of things. And I just hope that he sticks with it and makes more movies that are like this. Yeah. Because then I think that he can probably, you know, get back to, you know, do the right thing or something like that. But again, it looks great. They do a lot of, um, you know, really cool looking environmental shots. He does a lot of different camera. I don't know if he used several different cameras, but, or they just added, added it digitally. But it looks like a lot of it was shot with like kind of like an eight millimeter camera that has that like kind of grainy yeah. look to it. That looked, all that stuff looked really good. He does a lot of um, to the camera monologues, you know, that he's kind of famous for. Yeah. And, and I do like that. I do like that aspect of his movies too. But, you know, again, if you're a Spike Lee fan, might want to check it out. It is somewhat entertaining, but it does have a pretty crazy twist near the end that you don't see coming at all. Then I saw A Horrible Way to Die. Uh, this is directed by Adam Weingard, who... He's he, one of the VHS guys, right? Yes, he did one of the segments on VHS, and he also did one of the segments on the upcoming um, ABCs of Death. And this was... Uh, I liked this. I, I really did. I think that... I, I believe in my Letterboxd review, I said that it is a polarizing film. Uh meaning some people are not going to be able to get past how this is filmed because uh, it's filmed like a mumblecore movie and it it's like a mumblecore horror film. Mm. And it's part of what I'm calling, and I think I'm going write, to start writing up an article on the site, I'm calling it hipster horror. Yes. There's and, actually that one that's coming out that was playing festivals this year. That is essentially just a hipster horror movie. Oh, there's about tons. Hi- there, yeah, there, about there. hipsters that just go out into the woods. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, this is starring... One of the one of the actors in this is... Um, yeah, I see Joe Swanberg. Yes, Joe Swanberg. Who directed one of the other. Yes, Joe, Joe Swanberg, who is a mumblecore director, and he, was, he directed another one of the segments in VHS... He plays a pretty large role in this movie. Um, the camera work is... Uh, 
it's done in such a way that is very frustrating to some people. It does these out of focus shots where it'll be in focus and then it'll go out of focus and fade to the next scene. Yeah. And that's almost every transition in the film is the camera going out of focus. Mm. And it happens a lot. There's a lot of shaky cam that happens and it's very stylistic. It's, I think, supposed to be done in an artistic way, but it is frustrating. Yeah. And I don't see that also Amy Simons is in it, who mm-hmm. directed that Sun Don't Shine. But I also noticed that Whitney Moore is in it from Birdemic fame. I don't even remember who she played in this. She played Daphne. She was Daphne. Must have been a small role. But she's the famous Victoria's Secret model from Birdemic. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, I still, I'm still going to recommend this because I like, I like Adam Weingard and I like the direction that he's taking with horror. Same thing with Ty West. I would include Ty West in the hipster horror category. They're doing new things with the genre, and I and I always appreciate when people try new things with the genre. Um, and then I saw Killer Joe that finally came out in theaters down here. Again, like you, this is the first NC-17 movie I've seen in the theater. It's an odd uh, experience. It is odd, especially because in my theater, there was probably probably only like eight or ten other people, and they were all probably over the age of 50. Mm -hmm. They were all older people. And when the movie started, I was like, we're going to see some walkouts. But I'll tell you, nobody walked out. I would. I had the same exact experience. Me and my wife were both like, I wonder how many people are going to walk out of this movie. No one did. The other interesting thing was is there was only two female film viewers. My wife and another girl that was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, uh, in my screening, it was all older couples. Mm. Mine was all older men alone (laughs) which was sort of odd and scary Uh, that would creep me out (laughs) um i loved it it was it was great i think that this might end up on my top 10 of the year i just thought it was fantastic so what do you think of the uh the old uh fried chicken fellatio the big scene at the end um extremely disturbing i was extremely Mm -hmm. disturbed And and when when she you know as soon as they show the bucket of chicken, did you like automatically, like when I saw the bucket of chicken, I was like, oh God, here it comes. Yeah, I knew coming. it was coming, yeah. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> I'm scared. Uh, I found myself thinking about it several times throughout the film. Like, when's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? I know it's going to happen. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting near the end here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have to say, the way that he filmed that and McConaughey's performance during that scene it was insane yeah i mean how he got so sweaty <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh uh great performances gina gershon should be uh given some sort of award for that and matthew mcconaughey as well i i wouldn't be surprised at all if well you know what let me okay i, I wouldn't be surprised if this got nominated for some awards that being said, I also wouldn't be surprised if it got it, snubbed. 
Yeah, it's definitely going to get snubbed. I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, Matthew McConaughey needs to get nominated for this. And I'm sure he will for, like, an Independent Spirit Award or something. Yeah. But, I mean, with the way this movie, what it's about and everything, the Academy doesn't want to touch this. And I'd be really surprised if they nominated anyone from this. Either way, these are award-winning performances by pretty much the whole cast. I mean, I, wh- my favorite character in the whole movie was Juno Temple. I thought she was fantastic. And in the end, I think that she was the smartest one out of all of them because she, I, I felt like she played dumb, but I feel like she kind of knew what was happening pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, then the only other one I saw was Resident Evil Retribution. Going oh, back right. Move, to moving be, on. Being invested. This was a complete nightmare of a film to get through. I really wanted to walk out, but I had to write a review for the site. So I stuck it out, and it is awful. Awful. Just... <laughs> I can't even get over how bad this movie was. And they, they keep making them, and they set this one up for another one, so... Oh, my God. This is going to go on forever. It will. Well, you know We're going to be, like, 62 and talking about Resident Evil 37 redistribution or something. I can't even imagine how convoluted the plot will be by that point, because they've written themselves into so many corners with the franchise that, at this point... The movie's like fifty uh, percent of the dialogue, more than that. Let's say eighty-five percent of the dialogue is exposition. Them trying to tell us what the fuck is happening because <laughs> nobody has any idea what's going on. I would, I would love to see mm. one of the actors in that movie sit down and interview them and say, "Can you tell me the plot of Resident Evil?" Not just the movie you're in, because. You know, that's a cop-out. <laughs> Tell me what the over overall storyline of this movie is, the series, because it's a complete mess. And I can see that becoming, like, a new thing, where, like, they'll screen a movie, and they'll have, like, a representative there from the director who will, like, pause it every five minutes and then, like, explain it to you. <laughs> Be like, okay, so what happened in the last five minutes? And he goes and explains everything and then starts it up again. Yeah. I mean, let's play for a little bit. In this in this movie, they needed to have Mila Jovovich looking at us, the audience, and explaining to us what was ha- like what was going on for a no, good. That's a, that, that didn't happen. It did happen. I'm not even kidding you. Oh my god! So there's a scene near the beginning, Mila Jovovich looking straight at the camera, telling us what's happening. Meanwhile, there's like all these like graphics of the previous films playing. So that we, it was so bad, laughably horrible. This movie. I was just gonna say that sounds like a complete joke. Yeah, it's terrible. Just, (laughs) just terrible. I gave it a uh, two out of ten on the site, and I'll tell you, the only reason I gave it a two and not something lower was because I saw that I gave Piranha Three Double D a one and a half, and it is better than that. So Uh I went with the two. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. That's that's all I watched this week. So, as you said earlier about how you 
love any film that depicts New York City or is set in New York City. Mm-hmm. I'm the exact same way. So the other night, I just I wanted a New York movie. I had to watch and see New York City, but I wasn't necessarily interested in like following a plot or anything. So I ended up watching a documentary called Bill Cunningham, New York, mm-hmm. which was just you know sort of a light documentary about an 80-year-old fashion photographer who he works for the New York Times. I think he has like two columns or something. But he's obsessed with the way people dress. So all day, all he does is he gets out his bike, grabs his camera, and just rides around New York City and just takes pictures of everyday people. So he's not like a fashion photographer where he's like at fashion shows, which he does do. But the majority of his time's just spent riding around New York City. If he sees someone's outfit that he likes, he takes pictures of them. So this is directed by Richard Press. And like, this is one of the, the guy, Bill Cunningham, 80-year-old fashion photographer. One of the only people I've ever seen in a documentary or a film where... They were just genuinely nice, mm. like all the time. Hmm. Like there was never a scene where you're like, well, that guy said it was sort of a dick. He was just a nice guy the entire time. And it was, you know, like I said, light documentary. I would, I mean, if you want to see New York, check it out if you're interested. It also sort of goes into this. He lives at Carnegie Hall and they're trying to remove the tenants from the apartments there. So it sort of goes into that for a little bit. But the majority of the time is just following him as he does his daily work, which is the same thing every day, riding a bicycle, taking pictures. But like you said, I just wanted to see New York. And it did its job. Cool. Then I followed it up with another documentary that you saw a couple of shows back. And I finally got around to is The Thin Blue Line by Earl Morris, 1988. Wow. Pretty great, isn't it? It's amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Just the way that he does it. The way that he structures everything. And I have to say, the end. The way he ends this documentary is like the absolute most perfect way I think that you could do it. It's so unbelievably simple, but yet at the same time, extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Where they just let the words do the work. Instead of trying to, you know, make some big shot out of it or anything. It was just unbelievable. I think this is one of these documentaries that has been replicated. I think that it was, it has to be one of the most influential. Because the the tricks and the things that he does in this movie, I've seen in a lot of other documentaries that came out afterwards. Like, I love the... And pretty much any documentary that does this, I love it when they have like audio um, where part of the story is an audio tape or something like that. And they come up with this just really cool way of just showing like the tape player Mm -hmm. just playing the audio and stuff like that. I just, I love that. And the reenactments too are great. Yeah. It's just, it blew my mind because like 10 minutes into the movie, you know that the guy's wrongly convicted. You're just like, are you kidding me? Like, how did they convict this guy? Yeah. And just the unbelievable 
just gullibleness and stupidity. It's just, it's mind numbing. The whole film, I'm just like, you can't be serious. This really happened. Yeah. Yep. It's like, it's like I said, any movie that saves someone's life, you got to give the five out of five or the 10 out of 10 to. And there's another thing that I've realized with this. Um, when Randall Adams got off, you know, when he released him from prison, he immediately sued or Earl Morris yeah. for the rights rights to his life, yeah. which is sort of I, I sort of understand that because you know you've been wrongly in prison for what like eighteen years, so I would I would under, I can understand that you want to be in control of your life story because mm-hmm. I mean what else are you going to do? But I also noticed that with tabloid. Earl Morris was is being sued by Joyce McKinney from that movie too, so it seems like whoever he does a documentary about, they sue him later. <laughs> I know I feel bad for the guy. But I think the Randall Adams one wasn't that bad. I think they settled like out of court. And they it was, did. Yeah. It was yeah. It wasn't like a big deal or anything. But it's just crazy to see that. Also, it took him like two two and a half years to get everyone together and to have him be in the film. It's just unbelievable. Great what a documentary maker. should be. Yeah. Yep. Just present the facts. Extraordinary. I finally finished Piano Teacher. I mean, we won't really talk about it, but I just want to announce that I finally finished it. <laughs> I think this has spanned over like five episodes. <laughs> yeah. You've been working on that one for a while. Yeah. It didn't get better. Uh, that's the only thing I'll say. And I <laughs> fucking hated it. <laughs> Oh god, I can't wait to do this Haneke Roundtable. <laughs> yeah. Again. I again I will announce the Haneke Roundtable is happening. <laughs> Supposedly we're re- gonna be recording it this week, so hopefully y- it will see the light of day next week. No, it's not gonna happen. No, I think it's tentatively scheduled for twenty seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. It's never happening. We're gonna have like fifteen other ones before it. Probably. Probably. Uh, another thing, I watched a bunch of shorts. It's an ongoing thing. I, I talked, I don't know what episode it was back where I was, you know, I told you I was sort of going through the history of cinema. Oh, yeah. So I did like a lot of the early stuff, you know, Malays, the Lumiere brothers, all that. And then fast forward, I'm up to like early avant-garde short films, which I watched a bunch from like Hans Richter, um, Rene Claire, Sergei Eisenstein. All of these, the weird thing, and they, all these are like in the 20s, like mid to late 20s. And they're all essentially like surrealistic Dada films. And the one thing that I have to sort of point out is they're in the 20s and they're using like trick shots and all this stuff. And you can sort of see where the early um, experimental camera angles comes from. So it's sort of cool to see it in that aspect but a lot of the trick shots and stuff that they're doing is what malaise did like way back in the very beginning of film mm. and they're mm-hmm. still rehashing this stuff in like the mid to late 20s and they're thinking that they're you know super creative and all that stuff and it's like i just watched malaise do this way before you and like way before and, yeah way before anyone and this guy was doing it better it looked just as good, if not better, than what these guys were doing 20, 30 years later. It's just another thing that's sort of solidified in my mind that George Malaise is, like, the best. 
Like, he's the godfather of cinema. It was just sort of cool in that aspect to just sort of see these things. And it's like, I just, because I just watched the Malay stuff like a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I I saw all this stuff before. It's just rehashing it. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it. I had a short week or sort of a light week. You had a vacation vacation in there. Yeah, there was a vacation in there, so. Okay. Let's talk about some Amazon Blu-ray deals. To get these incredible deals, just go to our site at filmpulse.net and either click on the Amazon banner, shop as you would normally, or simply click on the provided links in the show notes. First up, we have Major League Wild Thing Edition. Yes. $7.99 Blu-ray. Pick it up. Major League. What's, uh, what makes it the, the Wild Thing Edition? I don't know. Is Nothing? that better than this? What was the other one? Sapphire Edition? <laughs> the Sapphire. Sap- yeah, the Sapphire series. <laughs> Is that better than the Sapphire series? I would imagine. Okay. But maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Nice. Uh, then we have Resident Evil, the first one, $9.99. And actually, currently on Amazon, all the previous Resident Evil films are on sale for $9.99. They probably can't give these things away. No, I don't think they can. But the first one was the most tolerable, and with Resident Evil uh, Retribution coming out this this uh, Friday, and things uh, the, with Resident Evil Retribution, things kind of go back to the beginning. In fact, everybody from the cast of the first one is in this one, so I figured it'd be good to highlight the the first Resident Evil for nine ninety nine, mm. uh, and then finally we have Devil's Advocate. For eleven ninety eight, did you like Devil's Advocate? Uh, I don't even remember Devil's Advocate. It was the one with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. I mean, I I you, know that you, I saw it, and I know what it is. I just don't remember anything from it. So that probably tells me that it was a, a very forgettable film. I liked it I as liked evident is that I completely forgot about it. it. Wasn't anything spectacular, but I, I would recommend it, and I would definitely pick it up for eleven ninety eight. So. Uh, I also have an audiobook to promote this week. Uh, I'm currently listening to John Dies at the End by David Wong, and I picked this up on Audible. And you can get this book for free if you visit audiblepodcast.com slash filmpulse, and you can just sign up, get uh, John Dies at the End. There's a film coming out, uh, hopefully soon. Don Coscarelli directed it. And uh, Paul Giamatti's in it. Definitely interested in this. Um, very weird, very out there. It's kind of a horror book, but it's done in a very bizarre, funny way. It's very funny. I'm only about a third of the way through it, but I'm absolutely loving it so far. And the way that it's written is really cool, too. So highly recommend picking that up, and you can get it for free just by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash filmpulse. Mm. So let's go ahead and jump right into our uh, two feature reviews. First up, we have Compliance. This is currently playing in theaters, and we have a clip here, so let's give it a listen. I want to make this as easy as possible for Becky, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I would. So that's the first thing. And in this situation, either... And I don't like this. We drag her downtown, we book her, we process her, we put her in a holding cell where she'll probably be all night. That seems um, 
very extreme. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think in order to keep this sort of contained, what we could do is just have you strip search her right now. So Compliance is uh, directed, written and directed by Craig Zobel. This is based on a true story, and it stars Ann Dowd, Dreema Walker, and Pat Healy. And the IMDb synopsis states, when a prank caller convinces a fast food restaurant manager to interrogate an innocent young employee, no one is left unharmed. So, Kevin, what did you think of Compliance? I thought it was okay. I found, like, the main thing that struck me is I, I knew about this story before, see, before this film came out. And as I'm watching the film, I know what happens. There was a couple of things that I didn't quite remember, but pretty much everything involved in the movie, I knew. I knew that it happened. So I knew where everything was going right off the bat. So that's sort of took it out of you a little bit, I guess. But it's not the director's fault by any means. But I just didn't feel as though it added anything to it. There's nothing, like I think I told you when I first saw it, I read, I forget what newspaper it was for, but they had like a 16-page article about everything that happened, even before and after, regarding this story. And I was just enthralled reading that article as I was watching the movie. To me, this sort of was like, it could have just been a documentary and it would have been just as good. Just well, because of this, that the story was so unbelievable. Right. And when I was watching it, I felt, it, it felt like I was watching a documentary to me. Um, it felt like it was almost a documentary that just was full of reenactments because when you read about what happened in real life, it's very similar to the the film. I mean, it's pretty much dead. on. Yeah. I mean, beat for beat, this is what happened. And I think that this is an interesting film to talk about because I think that it has a lot of people divided. I think a lot of people are hating it. I think a lot of people are loving it. And I think that it's the type of film that you have to go into it knowing this is what the filmmaker is going to be doing to us. You know, yeah. he's he is setting out to make us feel like we're in that room with, uh, you know, the, the girl and the manager and all the other people that enter in. And we are supposed to feel as claustrophobic and uncomfortable as they do. And I think to that, the film really achieves that. I think that um, I, I thought that it was filmed very well. I, I really dug a lot of the close-up shots of like the food and different well, that's, parts. That's one of the main things that, to me, is just, that's easy. I think everyone knows, to, in order to make a movie have the atmosphere of like claustrophobia, or uneasiness, it's just extreme close-ups of people's faces and stuff like that. Because for whatever reason, that makes us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is in itself somewhat weird, is that we can't handle extreme close-ups of people's faces. Yeah, and this is, it's a tough movie. It's not, it's certainly not for everyone. I think that uh, a lot of people will not 
enjoy this movie. I don't think you're supposed to really enjoy it. No, I think this is definitely one of those movies that you can't afterwards be like, yeah, I loved that movie. It was awesome. Right. And it's a, cause it's, you feel terrible. <laughs> it's a slow, it's a slow film. It kind of goes at this, uh, meandering pace for most of it. And it's all for the most part shot in two locations. You know, you have the, the prankster, <laughs> the prankster's house and the restaurant that's yeah. pretty much it. And it's got a very limited cast, but I will say in regards to the performances, I thought they were all great. And that's another thing that I've I've read a lot of other reviews regarding this film and some people were saying that, you know, they weren't the performances weren't very good, but I thought Ann Dowd did a fantastic job. Very believable just the the dialogue felt very real and the way that I looked at it was I felt like I know these people you know they played kind of just these generalizations of these people and I thought that it worked extremely well yeah I think uh, I agree that Andal I thought Andal did a great job too but I would also point out I thought Pat Healy did a really good job yeah and I, I like him a lot too and I thought that he did he did a great job too, and I think that it's all around. It's a tough film. I think it'd be a tough film to be an actor in as well, because most of the dialogue is between two people on a on a phone. So yeah. I think a lot of you know a lot of it right there is. I'm guessing when they were filming it, they weren't actually talking to the person on the phone. So yeah, I do. I mean, for me too, this is a movie. Like I said, going in, I knew, I remembered pretty much everything that happened. The only thing I didn't really remember is I forgot that there was like, what was it, like 70 or 80 instances of this happening. Yes. Yes. Like I thought I just, yeah, I thought I remembered it as being like like eight to ten times. I didn't know that it was as prominent. But another thing is that I'm very interested in these sort of experiments like the Milgram experiment, experiment, which essentially explains what happens in this movie, which was a uh, psychological experiment done by a Yale psychologist, uh, Stanley Milgram, where he had, you would zap someone every time they did something wrong, and that every time it happened, it would get more and more current would go through them mm-hmm. and they found out that it was just because a guy in a white lab coat was telling people to do this even though it ex- went against their personal conscience didn't want to do it it was an authority figure and it sort of found out that people obey authority figures probably too much right and, and that's that, sort of what happens in this movie yes it's like the entire basis for it right exactly and, and i've um i heard an interview with uh, director craig zobel and he did mention that as being sort of, you know, p- part of the film. And I just, the, the concept, what happens in this film is so unbelievable that you can't wrap your head around how this actually yeah. happened. I think that it's difficult for a lot of people. I think a lot of people, when they see this movie, they'll come out of it and be like, there's no way. Well, that was the main thing that I loved about this movie but I don't know if it was necessarily the movie it was I think it's more of like the actual story itself but there's so many movies that 
people watch where halfway through it, there's something that happens within the plot or something where you're just like, well, that's completely unbelievable. Or those characters would never act that way. And like I said, with compliance, even though that I knew the entire story to this and what happens, there were still points in the movies where in the movie where I'm like, no, no one would do that. And then I had to remind myself, no, yep, that did happen. Yeah. They actually did that. You will find yourself yelling at the screen when you go see this movie because oh, yeah. it's so ridiculous that, you know, the, the girl let it happen. The fact that, I mean, we're not talking about just the manager. We're talking about, there's several other people involved in this. Yeah. And, and then it's, there's only one at one point that doesn't go along with it. But the funny thing, even with that person is he doesn't take it anywhere. He's just like, Oh, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. But he doesn't do anything because, like, when he comes in, you're, you're like, "Yes, this guy. Here we go. He's gonna fix everything." And then it's like, "Oh wait, no, that doesn't happen." Yeah, he just kind of walks away and says, "I don't want to be a part of this." Yeah, uh, just a crazy, crazy ass story, and that's really what makes this. I mean, if this was a fictional story, I don't think anybody would be on board with it because you would be like this is ridiculous mm-hmm. There's just and that's no- that's the crazy thing about it if it was a completely fabricated story we would be saying this is ridiculous this is a completely unrealistic story there's no way any of this stuff would ever happen but it did yeah a it, lot it did happen a lot and um the the real life guy actually got away with it. I don't know if you read that. Oh, they weren't actually able to convict him? Nope. Nope. He he was charged, but he they let him go. He um was acquitted. So he got away with it. And then, you know, at the end of the film, well, I, I guess it's a, a somewhat of a spoiler, but at the end of the film, you know how they're talking about uh lawsuits. Mm-hmm. She in real life, the girl I- I know that she sued the fast food chain. Yeah. And she, won, right? She won, but it turned out that she, due to ridiculous legal loopholes, she didn't get anything of what she asked for. It Basically, mm-hmm. she got nothing. Gotcha. After, like, court fees and stuff like that, she ended up with basically nothing. So, yeah. it's it's pretty crazy. So... I, it's an um, extremely interesting story. Yes, I, I recommend going to see it, but uh, just just know what you're getting into. It's it's That's, it's a tough movie. Yeah, I would say I th- a lot of people I think are familiar with the story, but if you're not, I would suggest reading about it first, and then based off of <laughs> how you yeah. react to reading about it is whether you should go see it or not. And, and it's f- so funny because after I, I wrote my review for it, I looked at some other reviews and some of the people, uh, critics are just fucking idiots sometimes because some of them were like, well, if they wanted us to think that that guy was a cop, you know, psh- they didn't do a very good job because I knew right away that he wasn't. A, and it's like, no, that is not the point, you no. idiot. It wasn't yeah. supposed to. 
the film is not supposed to make us think that he's an actual cop and then all of a sudden be like, you know, whoosh, he's not a cop. Like, no. I mean, they, he gets rid of that very early on in the movie. In the he s- makes no right. – it's just boom. It's just, this is just a regular guy. In the synopsis, it says yeah. a prankster, prank caller. So – uh, that that really frustrated me, and there were several reviews where people were uh, looking down on the film because of that. Like, and that's just ridiculous. So yeah, no, and I mean that's something too is because I read sort of the same thing where some critics were coming down on the movie for some of the storytelling aspects of it. But when, you, like I said, you read the actual story, it's pretty much. Perfect. Yeah, it's lifted and, pretty much exactly what happened they, in real life is in the movie. The the actual surveillance tapes of this incident were leaked on the internet, and if you look, you can find yeah. the real video of this happening. And when you see that and compare it to the movie, it's pretty much the exact same. I mean, the exact same. So yeah, uh, I gave this an eight out of ten on our site. Kevin, what what would you give this out of ten? I would probably give this like a, like a six. Six out of ten. Six, six. It's. I mean, it's just like I I liked it, but I think I was more compelled to the story, not really the film. I think he did do a good job. I mean, he didn't like completely ruin it and turn it into like some B movie. I think he actually, you know, stuck to the details, stuck to the events, the facts, and, you know, sort of showed you what everything that happened with amount of respect. Yeah. You know, he didn't sensationalize anything. I think it's so, also to note that uh, this had a record number of walkouts during Sundance. Wow. Yeah, people could not handle this movie. But that's... <laughs> That's something that I just don't like. Do, how do you not know what you're going into? Well, apparently people at Sundance didn't. I'm just going to go see this movie. What? <laughs> this happened in real life. I don't want to see this. What is this? And I love the based on true events that they plaster in huge yes. letters at the very beginning of the movie. I thought that was great. Yeah, I did like the uh, the title for that. When it came on. Yeah, it was awesome. But uh, again, get back to why I gave it a six and not a higher. It's just I didn't think anything within like the filmmaking aspect, you know, cinematography wise and anything. There was nothing that really jumped out to me that I was like, wow. Hmm. It's just it to me. It was just this is the story. Yeah. There was nothing that really put it over the top for me. Well, I can respect that. I felt like the, the cinematography really complemented the, the overall tone of the film. And that's why I tended to, to give it a higher score. So one last thing is I'm definitely interested in seeing something of his where, you know, he writes the story. It's based on his screenplay or based on, you know, like someone that he works with and yes. see him do like an actual fiction film. I will be interested to see what's next for Mr. Zobel. I think he has like a some sort of thriller coming out that got picked up. But there's not really that many uh, details on it yet. So there we go. That's uh, 
pretty solid recommendation for compliance. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely check that out. Yes. Uh, next up, we have Beyond the Black Rainbow. This is new to DVD and Blu-ray, and this is a film that didn't come out in our area, but we were both dying to see this. I've been waiting to see this movie my entire life. <laughs> we have a clip here, so let's give it a listen. This is Beyond the Black Rainbow. Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. So, this is direct, written and directed by Panos Cosmatos. Um, and according to IMDb, it says, despite being under heavy sedation, Elena tries to make her way out of Arborea, a secluded quasi-futuristic commune. Sure. Yeah. yeah sure. We'll, sure. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go with that. Uh, the film stars Michael Rogers, uh, Eva Allen, Scott Highlands, Marilyn Nori. I think I'll start it off. I, as we said before, had super high expectations for this film. After seeing the the artwork involved, the trailer, I was loving every second of that, and I was dying to see this. After seeing it, um, all the things that I loved about the trailer and the artwork were, were there. The movie looks fucking incredible. I... Yeah was eating up every second of footage in this movie. I loved it. I'm a huge yeah. fan of 80s cinema and like the science uh, the 80s sci-fi. Oh yeah. I mean, I guess we it, it, we could even go back further. We could even go back yeah. to 70s. And but it, given that time period, the sci-fi back then was there was such an amount of paranoia to it. Yeah. That just made it great. And this film looks amazing. The just just everything. The set design, the even like the the title cards and the little uh, interlude thing that we just played at the be- well, it wasn't an interlude. The little introduction that we played, prologue, if you will. Mm, um, yeah, that that played at the beginning of the film. It, it all looked amazing. Um, the story is the part that i had the problem with with this movie um i just felt <laughs> like there was story? none <laughs> there is there is none and that was the big issue and it's such a shame because this had so much going for it it was weird it was uber stylistic i think of my letterbox review i said it's as if Disney approached David Lynch to direct Tron, and yeah, but it just really fell flat with the story. I mean, this is a slow burn, and it's yeah, oh yeah, it's a nice movie to look at, but so little happens until the very, very, very end. Yeah, it ramps it, up. It ramps up real quick at the end. Shit gets real, real fast. Yeah. So, what were your thoughts on Beyond the Black Rainbow? A lot of my thoughts mirror pretty much what you just said. Again, it looks amazing. The 
the color palette that he uses, the lighting, the camera angles, everything is amazing. It just looks unbelievable. Um, but yeah, story-wise, the narrative, <laughs> ex- extremely opaque. There's not much happens. You don't even really know what is happening when something happens. Like, there's not really... They don't explain anything to you. It's just a matter of a series of events that happen. And like you said, the, the first... I don't know if it's like the first half of the movie or like the first two thirds of the movie. You're just like, where's this going? What are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it seemed like a lot of the the scenes were just a bit too short, a bit too random, you know, like a scene of him dropping his keys down, cut to a scene of him looking in the mirror, cut to his wife on the sofa, cut to, and it's like, oh my God. Just stick with something here. And that was one of the main things that that I had with this movie that I didn't like was there was too much for me slow motion, which just seemed unnecessary at times. I like slow motion, but in very, like, in moderation. I agree. I agree. There's there's too much, and there was way too many fade cuts. And I, I hate fade cuts, and especially when you do it over and over and over and over again. I'm just like, oh, think of another way to cut to a different shot. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, the As far as the slow motion, I think that there were several scenes where it really worked well. Oh, yeah. It looked um, amazing. And then there were other times where you're like, oh, okay, guy. The, Calm well, it down. And, but this kind of goes along with the storytelling. The scene when that person in the red suit with the helmet... Like that whole scene, they draw this out where it's like this person is being a sentionaut. He was a sentionaut. The sentionaut is being like released or whatever. Yeah, like they and run this, the program. In the scene of like that person walking down the hall in slow motion with the amazing soundtrack, by the way, uh, yeah. with that awesome soundtrack playing and i was like oh man like what's this what's this thing gonna do is it gonna like attack her what's gonna what's gonna happen here yeah you think something's gonna happen yeah and i was getting all excited i was like oh shit like she's gonna bust out and like everything's gonna go crazy and the guy's like taking his wig off and going nuts with the knife but like it all just falls so flat and i was just like oh no (laughs) nothing There was three things in this movie that were somewhat cool, but at the same time, they were completely unnecessary. Number one is the sentionaut. Yeah. Like, they make this big hullabaloo about starting yeah. the program and, the thing. and releasing the thing, and then it just comes up, does something, and then is gone for, like, the rest of the movie. It shows up a little bit at the end for just, like, this image of crazy weirdness. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, so what does that thing do? How did they make those? What's their purpose? And then the mutant at the end that was in like that room, that seemed completely unnecessary. And then the two Heshers at the end of the film, <laughs> they just pop up out of nowhere and you're like, who the hell are these guys? Well, th- that's, that's really where the movie takes uh, that final scene there. The climax 
is really where the movie takes a complete turn because everything looks different when she yeah. when she gets outside and everything that happens after she gets outside it looks different like the movie completely changes there's yeah. more dialogue there's more like realism i guess and it's completely different and i liked that that scene because it was something it was yeah. something that happened um but i and i thought and that was another thing about it is like in the beginning it was such a slow build up and i was like okay this guy uh cosmatos he's really good at doing setting the mood and getting the atmosphere and everything and it's like this is going to turn into something just crazy where you know someone's going to snap which they do but yeah, like you said of. it just it just it fell flat I thought that the the final confrontation between uh, Elena and Barry. <laughs> yeah, that was very I, anticlimactic. I thought it was going to well. be big. I thought it was going to be a big thing. And I thought that it was going to be more of a chase movie. Her trying to escape, him chasing after her, going through all these crazy rooms and different areas of this facility. And, and it wasn't really that. And the, the way in which she escaped wasn't that great either. Like, it was just like... No, and the, a couple of the things that she does, um, most notably what she does to the nurse. Yeah. You're just thinking, oh, okay, so you can do that? Why are you still there? Which I guess it does sort of come into the like the charging of the pyramid, the white pyramid that they always show, mm-hmm. which is it, like they do it in a very Lynchian way, where it's just like this room with a p- white pyramid in it. And apparently, what I could gather is that when they charged that up, like she lost her powers. Mm. So I sort of understood that, but then it takes that where it goes back to 1966 and shows Barry's footage. Of him, you know, they put him in that black, like, yeah. tar pit, and they're like, bring back the mother load. And it turns into, like, the worst acid trip you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it was just bizarre. And, it, of course, they go through that, like, the imagery montage type deal that, of course, was in 2001 and mm-hmm. a lot of other directors try and redo, which, again, looked amazing. But I did find this to be a lot of, it's essentially just style over substance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, characterization is non-existent. I mean, we, Pretty much. we get to know a little bit about the uh, antagonist of, of Barry and his relationship with his wife. But it's so limited. Like, we don't really know this guy. and what, No. Like, what is he? <laughs> like, what what are his motivations other than the fact that he's a, essentially a mad scientist? Yeah, and we don't. And sh- and, shit gets real when he takes off his appliances. Ugh. Yeah. Which I thought was a fun, and I mean, I thought he did a really good job in this movie. He came off as like a really creepy, oh, cold, yeah. detached. Just he scared the shit out of me. Oh yeah, he was he was very creepy. This is uh, Michael Rogers who plays. Barry, but I I found this to be like an audition film almost. Like this is Panos Cosmatos saying, "This is what I can do," 
I have style. I, I can make a gorgeous looking movie. Just someone needs to give me a story. I need something to work with. I agree. And I, I really, really hope that he returns to this style because I would love to see another movie that looks like this, but oh, yeah. has a different, just has a different story or a story, something more because uh, this was severely lacking in the plot department. I mean, oh, yeah. like who, there were so many questions, you know, like where the, <laughs> none of them are answered. Yeah. Where'd the girl come from? Who is she? What's her background? Why is she there? What are they doing to her? I mean, it's just nothing gets answered. It's just a series of random events that... Yeah, I I thought this came across as more of a, like, an experimental film. I didn't see this as, like, a traditional narrative. Like I said, I think it's just the guy, like, look at this beautiful image. Look at this weirdness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look how bizarre this is or surreal it is. Look at the lighting I do here. And Look at the color and the, the shading. Yeah, and, and to that, it excels. Uh, this is a, just probably one of the best-looking movies I've seen this year, mm-hmm. if, if not the best. It just looks... <laughs> I can't get over how incredible this movie looks. And if you can get it on Blu-ray, it looks mind-blowing. Oh mind and like I said in my, uh, my letterbox review, it looks like a color theory painting. Yeah. It's just, it looks like paintings, just over and over, just paintings. And it's just amazing. But yeah, when you come to the narrative part of it and you're like, the plot, I have no idea what the hell's going on. Just more questions keep cropping up. And it should be pointed out that this is the son of George Cosmatis, who directed Tombstone, Rambo First Blood Part 2, Cobra. And I think that a couple other movies. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this is yeah, this is his son. So completely different style, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I would say so. But uh, th- this is his first feature too, so I think that he can get at least somewhat of a pass for this being his first feature. Oh yeah, but I mean, you gotta admit he he shows a lot of promise. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just he needs a writer. He needs a story. He needs someone that knows how to write a nice, structured screenplay for him. Or just anything close to that. I mean, he doesn't have to go directly into, like, well-structured film, but something. Yeah, I, I think that he definitely needs just just something more. And like I said, I, I really hope that whatever his next feature is, I hope that he sticks with this same style because mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I just, I love it. And it's amazing. It, it really sucks because I would love to give this movie, I mean, based on the music and the style, the cinematography, everything about it, I would give it a 10 out of 10. But unfortunately I can't give it <clears throat> that kind of score because there's just, there's so many other things that are lacking, you know, yeah. and development. We- which is which is sort of funny that we we didn't really do this on purpose, but if you look at our reviews for compliance and beyond the black rainbow is well for me at least is the one I thought had a really good story and just everything else was lackluster and really didn't you yeah. know bring anything new to the table and then this movie 
everything that it brings in the matter of cinematography and everything is amazing and just the story is very lacking so it's like the complete opposite for each of them yeah all right let's give this a score what are you going to give uh beyond the black rainbow out of 10 mm, i'd probably give it six and a half maybe i'm gonna go six and a half as well on that one I would love to rate this a higher score. I really would because I... I mean, I, I might go seven if I think about it more. Because I don't know. Because I'm more into like the cinematography and the look of a film and I don't really... I, like, I don't really need a story that much. Um, I, I feel like I, I do, but I don't need anything major i just need just need something to latch on to and i just and it's i felt myself being frustrated several times throughout this film like all right let's let's get it going here i mean within the first 20 minutes you see how this movie's gonna look Mm -hmm. and i was like all right i i know how it looks now i'm ready to get into the meat of it and it just never comes to fruition and i think that that's what really uh hurts the film as far as my scoring of it, so yeah, I wish they, I wish Barry went to get the mother load and took off his appliances like a lot earlier in the film. Right. Yeah. Because when that happened, you were just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. This yeah. is pure insanity. Yes. And I felt like we didn't need all that setup because we didn't know what was happening anyway. Yeah, you know? we didn't really gain anything from the setup, which is the point of such a long setup exactly it just it, it just felt like it didn't give you anything it was just like hey look how nice everything looks oh uh, shit i was supposed to have a story in here yeah. throw that in at the end <laughs> yeah like uh i think that we can both safely recommend this movie check it out if you can get it on like uh video on demand or rent it from netflix on blu-ray definitely see it the highest definition that you can yeah. because it looks spectacular i would have to say two things one of them being i would have loved to have seen this in like an actual movie theater oh yes i think that would have been amazing up on the big screen yes. and pitch black darkness IMAX. just the music <laughs> oh my god if you could that would be insane because like you said the soundtrack is amazing yes and the other thing is i can definitely see this becoming like a cult like a cult classic and, and type movie. you know, I would actually, I would actually compare this to Tron Legacy, the new Tron movie. Now I know you didn't see that, but <laughs> pretty much the same uh, issues. Where the movie looks great, outstanding soundtrack, just amazing set design and colors and everything, but just lacking in the plot department. Yeah. Although, I mean, Tron had some other issues uh, past that with acting and things, but that's But I think it can be said for compliance and this movie is that we're definitely going to keep an eye out on these two directors. Oh, absolutely. Yes. These movies aren't in any way where we're like, oh, done with that guy. I'm not interested in anything else. Yeah, I will be very anxious to, to find out what this guy has coming out next, and I'll probably be running to go see it because... Yeah. Very, very interested. All right. Uh, let's move on and go over our predictions. We said 
Uh, last week we did Resident Evil Retribution. You said twenty-seven. I said twenty. Actual thirty-four on that. You, what the hell is wrong with people? Yeah. How did uh, that get thirty-four? I don't know. It, you gotta be kidding it was me. pretty bad. Um, these are Rotten Tomatoes scores. The Master. You said ninety. I said ninety-five. Actual eighty-eight. Wow. Yeah. So you're two for two from last week. This week we have Dread 3D. I'm going to say, and there are quite a few reviews up for this already. And I didn't read any, but I, I saw the score. So I'm going to say 82 on Dread. Hmm. I think I'm going to go 80. I'm actually anxious to see this now. It's so funny because, you know, we were shitting on this movie for weeks now. And... I'm still shitting on this movie, and, and I'm not going to see it, some, and I think it's terrible. Some early reviews came out, and they were, like, extremely positive on this, so... But I think that plays into, like, I don't care about any of the characters. I don't care about the comic book. I didn't like the story at all, so it's just, it's not for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why I'm not going to watch it and review it because i just i don't care about the story i'm definitely gonna check it out i don't know i I think maybe it just might be a matter of that it wasn't marketed correctly because that trailer was so terrible yeah which is like that's another thing it seems like trailers make or break movies nowadays oh yeah oh yeah because the trailer for dread looks fucking awful it does and the like trailer for beyond the black rainbow made that movie look like it was gonna be this yeah. epic, unbelievable, mind-blowing, greatest, yeah, greatest sci-fi movie ever. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Let's talk about another movie. Let's predict another movie that I thought had a, an excellent trailer, and this is End of Watch with um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. Uh, this is the found footage style cop film. I thought that the trailer for this was uh, done very well. I thought it was okay, but I think this is another instance of where the time that this movie's coming out sort of doesn't help it. Like, I'm I'm tired of found footage. I'm tired of cop movies. I'm just, I'm tired of them. <laughs> and I don't want to see another one. And even though, yes, it does look pretty good, I just, like I said, I, I don't know if I can sit through another one. I think this is going to be pretty good. I'll give that like a 84. 84? Okay, I'm going to say 76 on that one. I think it'll be it'll be good. There's some there's some early reviews for that in too, and that's been getting pretty positive uh, reception as well. And uh, then we have House at the End of the Street. This is the horror film with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I don't think that <laughs> this looks very good. Another this one of these. Terrible. It's another one of these PG thirteen horror films. I'm gonna say forty five. You remember everything I just said about End of Watch? <laughs> That's how I feel about House at the End of the Street. I don't care. And I don't want to see any more of these. So I'm going to say like of like 30. The only thing that, that makes me score this anything higher than like a 30 would be Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. And I think, I think there's but. some people that are holding out, hoping that it's going to be good because she's in it. But... but. I think she's going to make a misstep here. I think so, too. Because look at Elizabeth Olsen in um, Silent House. 
Yeah. You know, everybody is saying that Elizabeth Olsen is, you know, one of the next big actresses. And I, I agree. I think she is. But I think that she made a misstep with the Silent House remake as well. So there we go. Let's talk about some DVD and Blu-ray releases. These are for Tuesday, September 18th. And we have a whole bunch, whole bunch coming out. We got The Baby Makers. I'm going to say, oh, say my God. skip that one, please. Yeah, we have the best exotic marigold hotel. Uh, I'm I, somewhat I, interested in this movie. Now. I'm not at all. So I'm talking about. It. I don't know. I, I definitely can't say that I'm interested in the story at all. Yeah, I'm gonna say skip that one. I, I've heard great things. I really have, but it's just not for me. I'm not a you know 65 year old woman, so <laughs> that was not for me. Uh, then we have Cabin in the Woods. We reviewed this on the site, gave it an 8 out of 10. Uh, we did a show about this. I loved it. thought it was great. So I'm uh, highly recommending this one. And I heard that uh, if you purchase the Blu-ray, there's a lot of um, deleted scenes. And you get to see some more of um, the creatures and other things that weren't in the original film. Yes. Yeah, so I'm I'm, like ve- I'm very excited about that. So recommend like picking it. that one up. Yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, then we have Chico and Rita. Gave this an eight out of ten as well on the site. Yeah, this was really good. This is an animated I, film. Yeah, definitely recommend this one. It's a animated film for adults. Animated film for adults. Yeah, check that out. I actually haven't seen this yet, so it's good. I'm gonna have to. It's good to give it a gander. And it was right up my alley because I'm really into jazz. Yes. It sort of plays into the whole Cuban jazz scene, which is cool. Very cool. Then we have Detachment. This is the Adrian Brody school teacher film by Tony Kay, the guy that did American History X. Uh, I'm going to say skip this one. Mm. Yeah, when I first saw it, I, I thought it was it was okay, but... It's such a downer, and it's just like it, it's almost unbelievable in, in the amount of crap that happens in this movie. So <laughs> I, I'm just gonna say skip that one, unless you really want to be depressed. Then by all means, yay! <laughs> uh, we have the dodecapentathlon. We gave this a seven and a half out of ten on the site. You said that like a goddamn champ. Yeah, I, I'm getting pretty good at saying that. <laughs> Highly recommend this one. Check that out. I'm sure you'll be seeing this, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't wait. Check that one out. It's it's really good. The Duplass brothers. Then we have Hysteria. We gave this a four out of ten on the site. Uh, mm. Skip that one, please. <laughs> Period piece with Maggie Gyllenhaal about the invention of the vibrator. Yeah. Skip that one, please. Great. I love period pieces. There you go. They're the best. And finally, we have Oslo, August 31st. We gave this a 7.5 out of 10 on the site, and I think we can both recommend this one. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Um, and also, if you're interested in that movie, I would highly suggest checking out The Fire Within by Louis Maul. It's essentially the same story, but I think done a lot better than Oslo, August 31st. There you go. Yeah, And then there's... There's two Criterions coming out. Okay. Two uh, uh, from an esteemed director 
from the early 40s, Marcel Karn, Children of Paradise, which is a widely critically acclaimed, and I think is actually all on the sight and sound, like most important films of all time or whatever the hell they're calling that poll. So, uh, yeah, Criterion's putting out two of those on Blu-ray. And like we always say, it's Criterion. Yeah. I mean, it's a 1940s movie that they restored and put out on Blu-ray. And it's an important movie in the history of cinema. I love you, Criterion. Yep. With a video introduction by Terry Gilliam, documentary, essays. I mean, you get you get your money's worth with Criterion's. Yep, yep. And, and then you have all these other people putting out DVDs, and they're like, pay $30 for a DVD. Sapphire series. Yeah, Sapphire series. What uh, kind of special features you get? Oh, we got, like, the theatrical trailer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. There's a thing called YouTube. <laughs> director, or uh, not director commentary, but commentary by the second unit director. <laughs> yeah. I love it when they do that. Set designer. <laughs> And they only talk like when it's like the set design. They only talk for like two scenes. Yeah, there's not that much to talk about, and the rest of the movie they're just trying to like filler. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah, just put anything on, on DVDs. We can we can probably recommend anything on Criterion. Is uh, I just picked up the video drone Blu-ray and I love it. I've watched every second of the special features. And now I'm going to go back and watch it with the commentary and i'm pretty excited for that so and that's that's what i love most about the movies is that you can learn everything about that film right with that dvd like Mm -hmm. it's almost a research tool yeah it's not just the film you get the entire backstory to it everything it's amazing and a lot of them come with uh booklets too oh yeah that are really informative and really cool so there we go. I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For all the latest yeah. film news and reviews, visit filmpulse.net. And we want to hear your feedback. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net or give us a call on our voicemail line at 850-391-6071. Also, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. And click the donate buttons down below to help us keep Film Pulse running. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie when we have him watch Judge Dredd. Yes. Panos Cosmatos? Cosmatos? Cosmatos. Panos Cosmatos.